0: I hope that you have your Bible and you will turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Even though the words are going to be on the overhead, I want to encourage you that next Sunday is the Baptist Men's Day and the following Sunday we'll hopefully complete this. And I'm going to ask you this morning not to look at the clock, okay? I'm going to forget the clock this morning because I feel, don't do that so strongly, Cindy, because it makes me feel like you're saying I look at the clock too much. But folks, God has just, God has been burdening my heart, not only about our church, but about churches across the land. We need revival in our day. I'm going to get ahead of myself, okay? But let me just ask you to do this. And I I want to ask you to read these chapters several times. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And I'm going to repeat myself in saying this, but 2 Chronicles chapter 6, Solomon prays to God. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, God responds to Solomon's prayer. Folks, this is some powerful, powerful scripture, and I pray that the power of God will fall on us this morning and we'll hear a word from him. Let's pray together. Father, we need revival, not only in our world, but, Lord, we need revival in our hearts as your followers, as your children. And, Lord, we need revival in this church. God, forgive us when we take our eyes and ears and minds away from you. Forgive us, Father, when we do not seek your will for our lives and also for the church. And God, I just pray that we would be willing to humble ourselves and pray and seek the face of God and turn from our wicked ways. Father, please heal our hearts and our land. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let me read these verses, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, beginning with verse 11, okay? And first of all, I need to tell you that, well, let me just read, okay? Verse 11, thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Now listen to verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said... To him, Now, folks, you remember the last couple of Sundays we've been studying out of John 14, so many of the words were in red which signified that these were the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, folks, so often we've read what God says himself in the Old Testament, but it doesn't dawn on us that this is God himself speaking to man. And here God himself speaks to Solomon. And listen to what he says. I have heard your prayer. And that was in chapter 6. I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land and send pestilence among my people. Folks, I want to point something out. If people sin, it brings the judgment of God. Okay, that is a truth in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it seems like we're living in a world today in which we don't think that we could come under the judgment of God. We can and we will. And what scares me so badly about this world is that we're heading for some type of divine judgment upon this land and upon this world. And, folks, you can think I'm just up here trying to make a sermon. Folks, it's the the writing's on the wall. If God judged people back in the Old Testament for the sins they committed against Him, will He not bring judgment again on our land that seems to be just going away from Him? But, folks, God wants us to have revival. And listen to what God says in verse 14. And, folks, where would revival begin? It would begin with the people of God. If my people who are called by my name... And look, four keys, I believe, to revival. If my people who will call by my name, number one, humble themselves, number two, and pray, number three, and seek my face, and number four, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Now this place represents a temple. But folks, I want to point something out that is, that is really gripped me about this passage of scripture. As God speaks to Solomon about what he wants to do in the temple that has been constructed, would he not do the same thing in the church of the living Lord that is obedient to him? In other words, would not his eyes be open and his ears attentive to the prayers that are made in Theresa Baptist Church If we're seeking him and folks, let's get excited again about the work of God. We've got a God who wants to hear and a God who wants to act if we're willing to let him do it. Verse 16, for now I've chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, not only does God want to revive the church but he wants to revive each one of us. As for you, he's speaking to Solomon. If you walk before me as David your father walked during according to all that I've commanded you in keeping my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish your royal throne as I coveted with David your father, saying... There shall not fail you a man to rule Israel. In other words, a descendant of David will will be on the throne. And folks, you and I know from studying the Old Testament and especially the birth stories of Christ back in December that Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the promise that God had made to David and to Solomon. But listen to verse 19. If you turn aside and forsake my statues and my commandments which I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from the land I have given you. And this house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight and will make it a proverb and a byword among all people And at this house, which is exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, laid hold on to other gods, and worshipped them and served them, therefore he brought all this evil upon them. Folks, listen, if the judgment of God falls on the people of God in the Old Testament, you and I must understand that it can happen again in our day and to our church and to each one of us if we aren't obedient to Him. Now, folks, listen, obedience to God should not come because we cower in fear of Him sending something to destroy us. Our obedience to God should come because we love Him because He first loved us. And, folks, I want us to understand what revival is all about. But, look, I'm getting ahead of myself. God has burdened my heart recently about revival in my heart as a Christian, about revival in the hearts of the church, and about revival in our nation. And there's some things that I want to say at the beginning of these messages. And, again, I think if you give me permission to go over this morning, this can be done in two messages. And there's some things that I want to say and come back and talk about in detail later but we've got to build up, folks, to what's going on, okay? Number one, how would you and I define revival? And in our day, I think revival has been limited to a series of meetings in the spring and in the fall. Our next revival is March the 16th through the 20th and Joel Bratcher, the pastor at Clement Baptist Church, is going to be coming to preach. But folks, that's going to be a series of meeting. But you and I will determine whether or not we have revival. I want to see revival break loose in this church now in my heart, in your heart, so that we'll be on fire for God and we will enjoy all the benefits of being His people and being His church. Revival can be described, and this is out of Webster's Dictionary. Listen to this. number two, two definitions here. Period in which something becomes popular again after a long period of time. Is the Lord Jesus Christ popular in your life and in my life today as he used to be? Do we love him like we used to? Have we lost our first love? Are we as excited about a church of coming to the house of God and worshiping him and being a part of his great kingdom's work? And listen to the second one. I love this one. The growth of something or an increase in the activity of something after a long period of no growth or activity. Folks, is there activity of growth within my walk and your walk with the Lord and there is there activity of growth within the church to where we want to do service for Him and focus on His will for our life? Folks, we need revival don't we all of us and i'm including myself and folks it is so beautiful in second corinthians chapter 7 verse 14 god gives four keys to revival and remember again these are things that god says and listen to these and i'm going to repeat these over and over again if we humble ourselves if we pray if we seek god's face if we turn from our wicked way And, folks, we must remember that if revival happens in our world and in our day, where will it begin? It will begin with the people of God in the house of God. But there's something that I worry about so often. Are you and I as Christians, is our church in danger of becoming an average Baptist church or we in danger of becoming an average Christian? I want to give you a definition of average, and, and, and this is my fault. I, I want us just to see the second definition here of average. Okay, again, this comes out of Webster's Dictionary. You and I know that you can add numbers together and then divide them, and that becomes an average, and that doesn't apply to the church. But, folks, here's what I want, to, I want us to look at. Look at the second definition of average, a level that is typical of a group class or series. And folks, listen to this. A middle point between extremes. And you might be saying well what in the world is he trying to say? Let me get you to ponder two verses. Acts 17 verse 6. Paul and Silas have been preaching and teaching the gospel in Thessalonica. And they bring them, they want want them to Just shut up preaching the gospel. They want to do away with them. And charges are brought against him. And listen to what they say. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities crying, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Let me ask you something. Are we turning our world upside down with the gospel? And the answer's got to be no, isn't it? Are we turning our community upside down? And folks, I'm not talking about going out and beating people over the head with the Bible. I'm simply talking about our lives being the salt of the earth and the light of the world in such a way that when people see us, they know we are different, they know that we've got Jesus Christ living within us. Are we turning the world upside down or is the world turning the church upside down? And a second verse of, verses of Scripture, Revelation four, fifteen and 16, and Christ is speaking to the church at Laodicea who has become lukewarm. And this is one of my greatest fears for every church. Listen to this. Jesus says, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Folks, you remember the definition, one of the definitions of average, a middle point between two extremes? Are we neither cold nor hot? Are we lukewarm as Christians anymore? Have we lost our concern and our drive and our focus? The Lord says it makes him sick and he will spew us out of his mouth. So, folks, we need to ask ourselves some questions. Number one, does our world, does our land need revival? I'm speaking about our world, our land. In our world right now, it seems there are so many attitudes of helplessness and hopelessness. There's murder and rape and robbery and child abuse and suicide. There's mistrust. There's greed. And folks, I'm wondering if we aren't living in the time described in the Bible as the great falling away where even the church itself will not stand up and identify itself with Jesus Christ. Are we too far gone? Has Satan won? Thank you, Cindy. Say that loud. No. Thank you very much. This past week I was going to somewhere and I was listening to Adrian Rogers who's been dead now for about nine years. He preaches better dead than I do alive and I know that, all right? But Adrian Rogers was talking about how we have become so downhearted as churches and Christians. And he made this statement, I pulled off the road to write it down. Somebody in the church saw me pulled off the road, called friend, got my cell phone number to make sure I was all right. <laughs> this is what Adrian Rogers said, The devil is sailing a sinking ship and ruling over a doomed domain. Let me read that again the devil is sailing a sinking ship and ruling a doomed domain. Folks, listen, Satan's already been conquered at the cross and we need to remind ourselves of that. Revival comes when we go back to the cross and take the gospel of the cross to the world and not be ashamed of the cross and not be ashamed of the gospel. Do we need revival in our world? And I'm expecting you to say, Amen. Thank you very much. Well, secondly, do we need revival in our churches? I promise you this happened this week. I stop at Blaylock's Convenience Store in Rugemont all the time. A man I've seen a couple of times, but I don't know his background or anything, and they've got where they call me preacher whenever I come in. Well, there's the preacher. And this man walked up to me, and just out of the blue he said, You know, I go to a Baptist church in Durham. Our sanctuary will seat around 400, but only 30 people attend on a weekly basis. Folks, listen. Is that us in the future? I'm not trying. I'm just trying to be honest, folks. If we turn away from God, do you think God's going to bless this place? If we don't want God in this place, if we're not willing to humble ourselves, pray, seek His face, and turn from our wicked ways, is God going to bless us? Churches are closing their doors in our land. Churches are accepting worldly standards as they fail to teach and preach and obey the Word of God. And folks, one of the things that I think is going to cause the judgment of God to come on the house of God, it happened in the Old Testament, especially Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah saw this when people, even the priests, started saying that good is bad and bad is good. That is a perversion of the Word of God. And we are going to face the judgment as churches if we are not faithful to the preaching and teaching and living of the Word of God. Folks, listen, look at the early church, that church that turned the world upside down. Folks, look at the principles of spiritual church growth in Acts 2.42. And let me just mention, listen to this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching? You know what they were teaching? That Jesus was the Son of God, that he lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he's coming again. It was not a socialistic type of gospel. We need to be helping our world in many ways, but one of the most important ways is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, which means they came together as a body of believers. They broke bread, which was an obedience to Christ, and they prayed. Folks, you and I must understand as a church, we must be eager to hear the Word of God in worship and in Sunday school and. Bible study and again I'm not trying to be critical this morning folks it seems as if we want to get away from the word of God in our day we say we believe it but we really don't care to know it and Satan has convinced us that we can't understand it we don't understand it because we don't take time in it and we don't pray that God will speak to us folks we must return to the word of God and be eager to hear it and to live it and to enjoy we want to enjoy the word of God There should be eagerness to discipleship, personal and private time when we spend in worship and Bible study and prayer. Please don't think that God wants to give you everything he's got for you on Sunday mornings. He's got a whole lot more on a day-to-day basis. We need Christ-like compassion for the lost and those in need. We need to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We need to practice servanthood using our God-given, Christ-focused and Holy Spirit-empowered talents for God. Amen. Are we as churches too far gone? Is it too late for Revival, And I think, again, the answer to that is no. But I believe it is up to every individual church. Christ wants to live in us. He wants us to thrive. He wants the church to be winning souls into his kingdom. He wants us to be his people who are discipled. And we must be willing to allow God to bring revival. Do we need revival in our church? Do we need revival in our church? Yes. Are you all still with me? Okay. Well, there's a third question. Do we, born again, individual followers of Christ who have been blessed so much need revival? Do we? Yes. What describes you and me? And again, I'm, folks, I'm, I'm not trying to just preach to you today. I'm, I'm preaching this to myself. Okay. What describes you and me? Are we hot or cold? Are we? Are we lukewarm? Are we burdened for our own spiritual growth? Are we burdened that we would be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and fruitful in His kingdom? Right now, are we in or out of fellowship with Christ? Right now, are we wishing we weren't even here in church? Folks, are we actively involved in the work of the church? Are we spectators in the work of Christ and waiting for someone else to stand up and say, well, I'll take that duty and that job when Christ says, this is what I want you to do? Are we committed or have we developed an attitude that we don't care? Are we empowered and filled with the Spirit of God? Are we grieving or resisting the Holy Spirit? Are we Jonah's? that are seeking to flee as far away from the will of God as we can get. Maybe we're not in a boat headed to another land, but maybe in our day-to-day walk we come to church, we put on the act of being a Christian, but on a day-to-day basis we're not following the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we Jonah's or are we Isaiah's? Listen to Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said... Read those words with me. Here am I, send me. Are we growing in our faith or are we inactive? Is it too late or each of us too far gone? And let me tell you again, and this is good news, folks. The answer is absolutely, positively no. How many of you have heard about a chickpea? You know what a chickpea is? <laughs> I ain't never seen one myself, to be honest with you, but I read this story about them. Did you know a chicopee can be, the seed can live dormant in the ground for 50 years and then burst forth and bear fruit? You know, again, folks, I, I'm, not, I'm not the poster child for being on fire for the Lord. I want you to know that. But, folks, I want to tell you something if we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing that He cannot do in and through us. And if we will commit ourselves to Him like a chickpea, we might have been dormant, but guess what? He'll cause you and I to burst forth and bear fruit. Folks, to our world and nation, to our churches, and to our church, to Reach the Baptist Church, and each of us, we can go beyond the average. And you know how we can do that? Well, God spells it out. Obey Second Chronicles seven fourteen. We must humble ourselves, pray, seek God's face, and turn from our wicked ways. But folks, listen, before we look at those four principles and those four keys, I want to encourage every one of you to read Second Chronicles six and seven. And please allow me quickly to tell you the background of Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse fourteen. In chapter 6, God has instructed Solomon to build a temple in Jerusalem. And folks, that doesn't sound very important, but let me tell you what the temple signified. And let me go all the way back to the Old Testament. After God delivered the people from Egypt, as they traveled, God told them to build a tabernacle which was like a mobile church unit. And that tabernacle symbolized the presence and the glory of God with his people. But now in Solomon's day, and David was the one who originally wanted to build this temple, but God told him, you'll not be able to build it. Your son Solomon will do it. And so Solomon has completed the temple which represented in Jerusalem the presence and glory of God. Do you and I understand that the tabernacle, the temple were forerunners of the local assembly of believers? Do you and I understand that we are here at the intersection of Chub Lake and Country Club Road because we represent the presence and the power and the glory of God. That's what being a church is all about. You and I on a day-to-day basis as we live our daily lives, we are representations of the presence and glory of God. So when the world sees you and me as Christians and sees our church as we assemble together, do they see the presence and glory of God? Folks, these were important moments for Israel. As chapter 6 opens up, the temple has been completed and Solomon is going to pray to the Lord and dedicate the temple First of all, he blesses the Lord and he blesses the people and he begins to testify to the people of God's faithfulness, how God has blessed Israel, how God has kept his promises, how God has chosen a king for them following in the line of David, how God chose a city for the temple, how God promised he would always provide a king for Israel which ultimately climaxed in Christ. And Solomon gathers the people together and he leads them in worship. And verses 14 to 42 in chapter 6 is Solomon's prayer. And folks, I think it's important to notice Solomon's posture in prayer. Look at these two verses, chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. As he spoke, Solomon was standing before the people on a platform in the center of the outer court in front of the altar of God. The platform was made of bronze, seven and a half foot square, four and a half foot high. Now, as all the people watched, listen to this, folks. He knelt down, he reached out his arms toward heaven, and he prayed this prayer. Let me point some things out that I think are noteworthy. First of all, Solomon went before all the people. He was not ashamed to be seen by the people as a man of prayer, and he knelt down. Now, folks, you and I can pray in any position, but let me point something out. Here is the richest, here is the wisest man perhaps who has ever lived on the face of the earth, and what does he do? He humbles himself before the mighty God. And he reaches out his hands toward heaven. We've talked about this before, how as a people and that day reached their hands up toward heaven, it was a sign that their hands were empty. They didn't have anything to bring to God, and unless God just filled them with all that He wanted to give them, they had nothing to present to God except their hearts and their lives. And Solomon does this. And folks, listen to this. Of the four keys that we've mentioned in Second Chronicles seven fourteen, he does three. He humbles himself, he prays, and he seeks the face of God. What would happen in our world if presidents and congressmen and kings and rulers knelt in prayer acknowledging the one true God? I know what would happen. The ACLU would have a fit. That'll hit you in just a minute, okay? Folks, I want to tell you, we need to let These things happen in our world, in our churches, in each one of us. We need to unashamedly kneel before God in prayer. And folks, what will happen in our lives when we do this? Revival. Revival. The blessings of God will come. There will be a new awakening in our land. And listen to some of the things that... I'm I'm getting close to finishing, y'all, but please just forget the clock this morning, okay? Okay? Listen to some of the things that Solomon acknowledges in his prayer. There's no other God like our God in heaven and earth. And he points out the faithfulness of God to his people. Let me read verses 18 to 21 in the Living Bible. But will God really live upon the earth with men? Why, even the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built." How I pray that you will heed my prayers, O Lord my God. Listen to my prayer that I am praying to you now. Look down with favor day and night upon this temple, upon this place where you have said that you would put your name. May you always hear and answer the prayers I pray to you as I face toward this place. Listen to my prayers and to those of your people, Israel, when they pray together this t- uh, toward this temple. Yes, hear our, hear us from heaven, and when you hear, forgive. Folks, listen. What right do we have to even ask God to listen to us? But God says, I want to hear from you. And I'm there with you. I'm going to abide in this temple and I will listen to you. My ears and my eyes and my heart's are, heart is toward you. Folks, we take so much about God for granted. And God prays, Solomon prays that the people will live in righteousness and serve God. In verses 32 and 33, we don't have this on the overhead, but let me point these two verses out, and I hope you'll read them, okay? In these two verses, Solomon prays that people who come from the other parts of the world that have heard about their God will know him. Folks, this is about worldwide evangelism. When the people outside these doors see the life that you and I are living and see what is happening to the people in the church, then evangelism happens and people turn to Christ and are born into His kingdom. And folks, listen. In verses 30, 36 to 39, there's one thing for certain. We're all sinners. Amen? Amen. And we're going to sin. But listen to what... Solomon prays, if they sin against you and who has never sinned, what an acknowledgement. How long has it been since we've acknowledged to God that we sinned? If they sin against you and, and, and who has never sinned and you become angry with them and you let their enemies defeat them and take them away as captives to some foreign land near or far and this does happen and it's a sign of God's judgment and if in that land of exile they turn to you again and face toward this land you gave their fathers and this city and your temple I have built and plead with you with, with all their hearts to forgive them. What does God do? God will forgive them. Folks, it is not too late for revival to happen. But God's people must pray. And when we pray, God will hear and forgive and answer. And God will, in essence, bring revival. In the last couple of verses in chapter 6... Solomon says that God's eyes are open and his ears are attentive to the prayers of his people. And Solomon requests in verses 41 and 42 that God would enter the temple, that the priest would serve in holiness, that the people of Israel would rejoice in the goodness of God. And he asks God to bless and to direct and to stand beside even himself. Now, folks, I'm finished with the exception of reading Chapter 7, verse 1. If you've got your Bible open, let me read this. It's not going to be on screen. We'll pick up two weeks from today, okay? But listen to what happens. Solomon has prayed. Solomon has invited God into the temple, into his life, into the nation. And listen to what happens in verse 1. When Solomon ended his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. I'm going to say this again two weeks from now. Can you imagine coming to church one Sunday morning and we couldn't get in the church? You know why? The fire of God had fallen. And the glory of God was in this place. And we were too afraid to come in. Folks, it happened in that day. When God's people pray, God responds. We have not because we ask not. I found it true that after great revivals, Satan always comes in and try to knock people down. And I want to tell you, I know in my own life when I feel like God's, and I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking about God, when God's given me something to say, that Satan's going to come along and try and knock me down, he's going to try and knock you down, he's going to try and knock this church down. Folks, if we want revival in our hearts, in our land, and most especially in this church, we're going to have to humble ourselves. We're going to have to pray. We're going to have to seek his face. and We're going to have to turn from our wicked ways. May we get revived. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would revive us. Lord, this morning I pray that your word has gone forth. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would take it and apply it to my heart and each of the hearts of the people that are here. And Lord, most especially to our church and Lord, to our land. God, help us that we will humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. I've talked. Now would you let God talk to you and to me. Our hymn of invitation is number 332. Breathe on me. The altar's open. Whatever decision the Lord is leading you to make, let us stand.